Welcome to the Heart Soul Wisdom Podcast, a journey of self-discovery and transformation. Moira Sutton and her amazing guests share real-life stories, tools, and strategies to inspire and empower you to create and live your best life. Come along on the journey and finally blast through any fears, obstacles, and challenges that have held you back in the past so you can live your life with the joy, passion, and happiness that you desire. Now, here's your host, Create the Life You Love Empowerment Life Coach, Moira Sutton. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 72, Turning Tragedy into Triumph to Embrace a Destiny in Entrepreneurship with our very special guest, author, realtor, and entrepreneur, Serena Holmes. Prior to becoming a realtor, Serena ran her own multi-award winning brand experience agency called Tigress Events for close to 18 years under her leadership She grew the agency to 10 full-time staff at their head office in Pickering and over 2,200 part-time staff across the country. They won 18 awards and were nominated for several others in recognition of their work since 2014. Serena made the decision to merge with another agency in February of this year to take the business to the next level. Between taking courses and studying to obtain her real estate licenses throughout COVID, she was also going through rounds of editing for her book, The Accidental Entrepreneur, which was published in October 2021. Her book chronicles how she went from surviving a troubled childhood to surviving as a self-styled, multifaceted entrepreneur. The book also describes the difficulties faced along with lessons learned and mistakes made all with the hopes of helping others who are or have been facing similar challenges, either personally or professionally. So without further ado, it is my pleasure to welcome Serena Holmes. Welcome, Serena. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Wow. Quite a lot there. (laughs) You could say so. Yeah. So let's start with the book. You know, we know that just there you wanted to help people. Is that what inspired you to write the book? Yeah, I think it's one of those things that when I was growing up, people would often say to me, you know, you've been through so much, like you're going to have to write a book one day. Ah. (laughs) I could help other people. And I think it just planted the seeds when I was like quite young and, you know, just something I heard over and over as the years continued. So um, I went to a conference actually that had nothing to do with publishing, but I met a woman that has a publishing company and helps authors kind of get started writing their books. So I signed up for a workshop, flew to San Diego and just wrote my little heart out for a few days. Yeah. I wrote like a huge chunk of it. So it just felt like, it's hard to say, it, it really felt like I was compelled to write it. Like I had to just get my story out. And then maybe it was even healing to do so. You know what I mean? It just felt like I, I really just had to do it. Well, for sure. You know, I've read the book and and like we said at the very beginning, you've gone through a lot of challenges and ups and downs in life. And yes, that's that's one of the reasons I was drawn to you to share your journey and share that because there's a lot of people who are going through a lot of challenges and they don't know how to get through that. And you always had that mindset. And 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 then how did you come up with that title, Accidental Entrepreneur? That's kind of cute. Yeah. I mean, I really had no intention of ever being an entrepreneur. I never thought I'd run a business and I was going through school for journalism and 
started doing promotional work part-time. And, you know, I think just because I was paying for school myself, like I was always looking for ways to make money and stuff like that. But when I graduated, I didn't realize how difficult it would be to get into the media industry. And, you know, I was applying all over and things just weren't really happening. So I basically was offered an opportunity part-time with the company that I later came to own. So started as a brand ambassador part-time, was offered a management role that led into a partnership role all very swiftly, like in the span of probably eight months, I guess, altogether. And then, um, you know, took the opportunity for partnership, almost turned it down for another opportunity with AM640, (laughs) but I did take the partnership. And then four years later, the woman that founded the company decided to exit. So, you know, just one thing kind of happened after another. And and I always would joke that it was an accident because I never really intended to go down this path. It it just sounds like, first of all, what I got reading your book is you're, you're quite the uh, energetic person. (laughs) You do do, do a lot of things and, you know, you, you set your sights for something and then it just happens. And no, I don't believe just things happen. If you're in action, especially in inspired action, you know, things, people, opportunities, things show up in our lives. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of those things that I, again, I I didn't intend to do it, but the opportunity presented itself where it wasn't presenting itself in my field of study and, you know, what I thought that I was going to do. And I think that looking back, I'm probably in a far better place personally, financially than maybe I could have been had I continued to pursue that other, that other path. Um, And obviously things happen for a reason. So I think it it came into my life for whatever purpose that was. Got it. So who relates best to your book and who's your audience and who's your avatar? I know we talked about people who are going through challenges and that, but who are the people that you've been speaking to? Yeah. I mean, I think what was really interesting when I was writing it was that the woman I, I did the workshop with was like, you can't write a book like this. You know, you can't combine a memoir and a business book. (laughs) Like it's just two different kinds of readers. Um, So early on when I was you know, promoting the book on social and stuff like that. I had a lot of people reaching out to me that were going through a divorce. They had custody issues with their children. They'd experienced loss and grief. So I had all of those kinds of people connecting with me. And then mm-hmm. as time passed, you know, as I progress into the book and, and being an entrepreneur, and that doesn't mean that there's not those personal things that are happening along the way, but then you have the people that are like, these business tips are so helpful and they connect with you in the entrepreneurship sense. So I think it was very much like intended for both, but it just felt like I couldn't write one half without the other, if that makes sense. Got it. Got it. So you, did you write this whole book when you're at that, that workshop or did you just start it there? Or did you finish it there? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I wrote about 17 or 18 of what became 31 chapters, um, ended up finishing it in, you know, towards the rest of the year, which was the end of 2018. And then I just hit a wall when it came to publishing. I just wasn't really sure what to do next. And I just put it on pause. And then as everyone knows, COVID hit not all that long after. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, for the first time I had had in, at that point, 16 years, like my business came to a complete halt. Yes, I had a, a new baby at home, but I also wasn't getting like hundreds of emails every day. So I looked at that as an opportunity to finally get the book done. I committed to getting it published, um, ended up rewriting the ending because of COVID happening and obviously all the things that ensued because of the whole world, you know, falling apart for a little while. Um, and then basically just, I think it took maybe eight or eight or nine months going through multiple rounds of editing and the publishing and design and things like that. Mm-hmm. I have my publisher lined up. It's me to commit the time to finish my book, which is literally in the next few months, <laughs> um, but it is a process. Oh, it's a process. <laughs> yeah. What, what are the big, big takeaways you want someone to walk away with after reading your book? 
I know you have yeah. many. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, it, again, of course it depends, I think on who's reading it, but mm-hmm. I think it really is a story about, you know, overcoming obstacles and persisting and, you know, just believing in yourself to take those chances and take action and things like that. Um, I think that sometimes when people are experiencing challenges in their life, it's very easy to kind of wallow in that and stay in that place. But the only person that's going to hurt is you. So I think I learned that early on. Like I'm, I can't depend on anyone else to like turn my life into anything. So I think that's what made me entrepreneurial in a certain sense, even before I was an entrepreneur, like I would always take different opportunities and stuff like that. So I think for anyone that has a challenge, like, yes, take the time to grieve or be upset or whatever it is, but just don't stay there for too long. And I think by, um, you know, investing in yourself and trying to give yourself a sense of purpose, I think that'll kind of change your outlook and your perspective. Do you think, because you came from a family with a a lot of different issues, just share a little bit about that and how you came, how you navigated through that, Serena, because, you know, you're very young and you, you made some major decisions, like, you know, with the, you know, putting what with your stepmother, you had her charged and like (laughs) a a little girl doing that, like, where where did that come from? Did that just come out of anger? Did that come out of a place that was just writing to, you know, boil up? (laughs) Like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think in that particular instance, um, you know, I had suffered some abuse um, with my stepmom. And um, when I tried to leave the first time, I was only supposed to move in with my dad and her temporarily. Um, The court system basically sent me back and thought that it just looked better from an optic standpoint, like living on a farm with, you know, my stepsister and my half brother and things like that. And they thought that, you know, it was better than a single mom living in an apartment in the city. So when a few years passed and you know, some of those circumstances really escalated over the following few years when we hired a lawyer to look into actually moving into my aunt's, uh, my aunt and uncle's house. The lawyer, when we documented and outlined like everything that had happened, why I wanted to move out, she said that, you know, it would strengthen the custody case to to go through with those charges. Mm. Um, So it, it doesn't undermine the fact that yes, it happened. I didn't necessarily want like anything horrible to happen to my son when she's still raising you know, the rest of like her own kids. Um, But it was to strengthen just me getting out of that situation so that I could start over with, you know, my extended family. Did you feel in that moment going to your, you know, your aunt Jane, and I think Saul is your uncle, Mm -hmm. that, that, uh, like, did you feel courage, like you were developing this courage, or you were just like doing things like in the moment, like, you know, with the people telling you, yes, put the, put this through, say what's happening. So you could get... there was a lot more confidence, I think, involved because I was older. Like when I tried to move, when I moved in with my mom when I was 10, it wasn't mm-hmm. thought out. It was just like Labor Day weekend. She's like, you're not going home. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, and I was still, I was much younger at that point in time. And that was just really, really stressful. She just kind of like yanked me out of that situation. It wasn't really something that we talked about in advance and it wasn't handled properly. Um, the situation with my aunt, you know, when I confided in her about some of the abuse that I was experiencing with my stepmom, because as I was getting older, it was getting worse. Um, she was the one that obviously talked to my mom and said, how would you like to live with us? And over the course of a few months, like I would always bring extra clothes. I'd leave clothes behind. So it was like, we had planned it for a little while. Mm-hmm. Leading into it, mm-hmm. And then obviously told my dad, like similar thing, like Labor Day weekend, I'm not coming home. <clears> and then our first step was going to the lawyers the following morning. But you know, he wasn't really willing to accept it. I think he was happier knowing I was there rather than with my mom because he had his opinions on, you know, how he felt about her as a parent and things that she had kind of decisions that she'd made since they'd separated. 
Um, so I think he felt better about knowing that I was there. Um, and then as it kind of went through the custody proceedings and stuff like that, I think it was just like an outer body experience. Like I write about that in the book, like sitting there to find out if I'm going to get sent back or if I'm going to be able to stay where I was. And, you know, just like how scary that whole, whole situation was, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think I just felt like if I was sent back, like, you know, I'm going back into a horrible situation. What was already bad to begin with is going to get a whole lot worse. (laughs) So um, yeah, it just, it felt like, it felt like the, it wasn't easy, but it was definitely a better option at the time. Do you believe that any of that like scarred you in any way, or you've worked through the healing? Like you said, even writing the book was a, a mm-hmm. healing experience for you too, because you're a very strong personality. You make me think of my niece. She's very strong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like no way I'm putting up with any crap is my, my niece. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, it, it's not like it was the kind of abuse that you read about some people having that's like so, so, so serious. It, it wasn't good. Um, but I think that I just kind of looked at it for what it was. I think that now I know my stepmom has a lot of her own issues. Like she's been diagnosed as bipolar. I think she was diagnosed with that probably 10 years after I moved out. So now a lot of her behavior, when I look back on it, makes sense, you know, and it's like, you don't necessarily, um, completely forgive it but you understand it better and you try to put it in that perspective like Mm. she was young she was going through whatever things that she was going through and and you know she would just fly off the handle in those situations right like I don't think it's just like she was trying to to beat on me it wasn't like an everyday thing or something like that um so I just always try to you know understand what it would be like from their point of view or like what they might have been going through and and that's kind of how I've made my own piece with it Mm. thank you you know, with you said earlier, like where people who are going through challenges and obstacles, you said don't stay there, like don't stay mm-hmm. in grief, don't stay in that feeling, because again, what we focus on, we create more of, right? Mm-hmm. But it's easier to say than do. What would yeah. you say to somebody who is going through that, other than don't don't stay there for long? What what yeah. would some some of your wisdom be for those people? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I was younger then, so it's not like there was some of the technology that there is today. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, like I would just throw myself into books, so I would literally just consume them so quickly. <laughs> like I was mm-hmm. always down with my nose in the book. And again, it just kind of takes you out of your current reality and into something different. So between that, um, I was also at the time really passionate about artwork and things like that. So I just throw myself into my schoolwork or my projects and, you know, all those things helped me because I got really good grades. I got awards. I was offered like scholarships and things like like things along the way that are ultimately helping you right Mm -hmm. Uh, they're all very like positive ways to put yourself uh forward but again I was also I was very young right so I think someone that's older like if they're experiencing things like this they might not take such a positive approach if there's other things that they could be doing (laughs) so I think you just want to know like you're going to take your mind off it but try to do it in the most positive way possible if you're older maybe you'll go for a walk or work out or you know connect with other friends. Like for me at that age, like I was very limited in the things that I could do to get my mind off things. Mm -hmm. So more or less shift your state, whatever, get Mm -hmm. it. I, I, I'm trained in NLP a long time ago. It's where I met my hubby (laughs) NLP course over 32, 33 years ago. Um, yeah. Um, but to even get up and move because you're, when you're in a state, your body also is physically in that moment in whatever you're feeling. So, and I think it's easier when you're a child. Like, I think that you're just you're more resilient in certain ways, right? Like when I look at how my mom, like, you know, she lost her husband and then a year later lost my brother. So like Mm -hmm. loses her son in this tragic accident that really should never have happened. 
um, because my brother had been, you know, he'd only moved in with my, my dad and my stepmom a month and a half before. And we learned after the fact that, you know, it wasn't the first time he'd been left alone. Like this seems mm-hmm. like it had been a repeated circumstance. So, you know, for those things to happen, like two very significant things happening right back to back, like, you know, the way that she dealt with it was by starting to drink excessively and got into like a really damaging relationship. So, you know, from an adult, um, I'd say from an adult's point of view, but obviously like everyone deals with things different. And that's how she kind of dealt with it and had her struggles to kind of get through things. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we all have our way of dealing with, well, grief, that's a lot of mm-hmm. grief and, yeah. and tragedy. As you said, that's part of the, you know, it's our title turning tragedy into triumph. Yeah. Yeah. So now scholarships, yeah, you, you applied and got into uh, a four-year Ryerson program on journalism. Mm-hmm. Share, share about, first of all, how did you find out about scholarships? I know you're very brilliant, <laughs> <laughs> but for people listening again, who don't know that, you know, that's a good way to go. Yeah. Um, how did they, how do people apply for that and find out more about that? For sure. I mean, the schools have a lot of resources, so it's not like I necessarily knew about all of them, um, but I brought my financial situation to their attention and that, you know, of course I want to go to university, but I don't have any support from my family at all. So what would be the best course of action there? And they basically just would provide me with like all of the different scholarship updates, like, you know, with the way that the world is today, I'm sure some of those things would be more accessible or available online, but the school basically helped me figure out where I could apply and stuff like that. And for the scholarship that I ended up landing, which covered uh, probably about 60% of my tuition each year for four years. And it was from um, a real estate developer that owns a golf course out in Ajax. And um, I basically met all their needs. So it was uh, financial need, um, involvement in the community and academic excellence. And then by demonstrating all of that, I think I had to write an essay and then also go for an interview. So they would, you know, interview however many candidates from each of the schools in Durham region and then accept a scholarship recipient each year. And then I think they've kind of added to that as time has passed. Maybe there's two or four per year now. Now you're out in that neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. Have you ever bumped into that gentleman? <laughs> I have not. Um, no. I, I have golfed at that golf course, but <laughs> I have not run into that. Uh, like the the man that owns that company and owns the, the golf course. Wouldn't that be interesting? I, yeah. I, saw, I saw a video the other day with Kate. Um, Kate is in the royalty Kate. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. And um, she bumped into a teacher from her school. He was in, he was volunteering with the crowds and she just lit up. She's like, she remembered him. She remembered yeah. the classes. It was just so yeah. just, you know, just natural. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. Yeah. It was something that someone that had such a big impact on my life, but obviously wasn't someone that I, yeah. I knew personally or directly. So, I mean, for I, a few years after I had to speak at their annual golf tournament and just talk about how the scholarship was impacting yeah. me and, and things like that. But outside of that, um, you know, that's, it's been quite a long time at this point. That's kind of cool too, that you were developing your, your speaking. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's pretty cool. Now you share in the book, many times you say things like with your feelings, whenever it's too good, it could mean a curveball is coming. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah. I just think that because I had so many really bad things, I guess, happen over the course of my life, sometimes I would be nervous to get too attached to something positive because it felt like if I would, you know, things could just so easily fall apart. Um, So I think, you know, that's maybe not the best way to look at it, of course, but, you know, when they say like, what goes up must come down. Right. So I think sometimes Mm. you're like, oh, things are really good. Like, you know, they, 
they can be triggered and follow um, other events and things like that. Right. And even I think as an adult, like I had back in 2016, I got married and I, I felt like my business is developing to a certain point and things are growing. And then the following year, it's like, you know, my mother-in-law was really sick and our dog was really sick. And then we had like losses in our family. So it's like, you, know, you have these really great times followed by, you know, sad times and, and difficult times. Right. And obviously like, I think that's just what life is all about. Like how all those things kind of weave together and create that fabric for us. Mm-hmm. Yes. I used to say things like, you know, the ups and downs, the curves, the mountains, the valleys, mm-hmm. it's all because you wouldn't know the other side in some ways, mm-hmm. not to say I'm going to go experience that because yeah. I want to be over there at love or whatever, but uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's, it's life, right. And all the, the, the different facets of our life. Mm-hmm. So tell me about this house of cards. <laughs> When that, you said that, you know, your introduction to Melanie changed the direction of your life forever. You have a lot of those comments at the end of each chapter, you have like sort of like, little hooks, your little hooks. They, yeah. I guess that's what it is, but it, it does hook you. It's sort of like, yeah. oh, another trajectory. Where is she going now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I met my business partner, obviously I didn't know that was who she was going to become. Um, at that point in time, I'd been doing promotional events and I met a, a girl that's like, oh, you know, have you ever hostess before? And um, basically they're fundraising events. You raise money for grooms who are getting married and you just sell like this game and that game and it's fun and it pays cash. And, um, you know, I had the interview with the woman that became my business partner and saw her in the interview and then didn't see her again for like two years. <laughs> so, wow. What was that about? <laughs> yeah. She just, she was involved in that business for about five years and then left to basically start her own business. So during that time when she was building, like, you know, I was just a girl she interviewed, like we didn't really have any relationship. I never saw her at those events. She obviously left shortly after. And then I guess she ran into someone that I was dating um, a couple of years later, talked about how she was starting this agency. And he's like, oh, my girlfriend does that kind of work. And then kind of put it together, like who I was, and then reached out because she was trying to build her roster for the agency that she was creating. And then along with that company started the company that I later came to own, which was Tigers Events. And um, at the time, there was like a couple other divisions as well. So so how did you create that? Like you, you got into event planning. Did you ever think that you would be in that business? And and how did you create this successful Tigros events? Like, yeah, I mean, she's, she started it. Um, mm-hmm. So I can't take credit in that sense. Like it did evolve as time passed because she created all these divisions separate from each other, thinking that if an event planning agency hired us and they didn't know that we did event planning, like they wouldn't see us as a threat. So that was her reason to kind of keep things identified separately. So it just worked out that the staffing was what took off. And then as time passed, we're like, it's also isolating and limiting us from taking on these bigger opportunities and experiential and, and event planning because nobody knows that we can do this. <laughs> so as time passed, um, you know, and just by gaining mentorship and business coaching, I'd received advice, you know, should really consolidate things. You want people to understand your full offering and And yes, that meant that eventually some of those companies that hired us felt we were a threat. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we gained some clients, we lost some clients, but overall, I think, you know, gained more than we lost. And I think for the people that we were working with and supporting on the staffing side, like they knew we weren't going to go out and solicit their clients and try to like steal business from them and stuff like that. So that was more often the case, not always, which I, I talk about in the book and stuff like that as well, but um, you know, it made sense just because it was a confusing business structure. You know, early on, we had three separate businesses, three separate bank accounts, 
three tax filings at the end of the year. And it just made it really complicated. So mm-hmm. when my partner left, like as time passed, I slowly started streamlining, streamlining things and, you know, just making it easier for people to understand the full scope of everything that we offered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you built this amazing brand. You know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that, or wannabe want entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. What are some key questions that you could help somebody build, become clear on their brand and build their brand? Yeah. Yeah. I think you just want to look at it from a customer's perspective and think like, how would they perceive us? And like, what value can you deliver to them? So that's one thing is just trying to make it super simple. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they say you should be able to explain it to like a kid or your grandmother. <laughs> so that's like one way to look at it. Yep. Um, and I think just again, how you're going to find your clients. Like for us, um, you know, it didn't matter that we necessarily had an office until we were starting to grow our head office team. Um, you know, we worked with clients from all across the country. So it really mattered like for us, like how people can find us online. And we'd have people literally as far away as like Australia and Europe and all over the States finding us because they were searching Toronto brand ambassadors or Calgary event staff or Vancouver event planning or whatever that is. And it's probably one of my biggest business regrets is that we just didn't start doing that sooner. And I didn't understand enough about it. It was presented to us probably a year into our business. And we were kind of like, we're fine. Like just didn't know enough about it. And if I could go back and change it, like, I mean, (laughs) who would have been a a total game changer? Um, Because that's really how I saved the company from going out of business when we lost our biggest client was by investing in digital marketing and search engine optimization and things like that, you know, depending on the nature of your business, that, that may not always work. Um, it just depends on like what your business is. So for us, that was, that was key to being found and, and hired basically by all these different companies. So does digital marketing tie in with experiential marketing? No, um, no. So experiential is more face-to-face. So if you okay. see, for example, like a PR stunt, Uh, For example, there was a financial services company that hired us to push around like a 500 pound alarm clock, do like a hundred person pillow fight and all these crazy things. I saw the pillow fight. It was good. (laughs) More of the experiential side. Uh, Digital marketing is more like you're sitting at Google and you just search in like best Toronto restaurants or Toronto restaurants around whatever, or in my case, you know, Calgary brand ambassadors, or you just Google search what you're looking for. And ideally you want to rank as high as possible on page one so that people can find what you're offering. Mm-hmm. You, you even worked with, you partnered with winners at iHeartRadio. I thought that was pretty mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty awesome. We had like a, a fab grab money machine where people could kind of collect as much as possible and then exchange what they had for different prizes and stuff like that. So that would definitely be like on the experiential side where you want them to kind of have this unique brand experience and then have those positive associations and connections to your brand. You. You wore, and at that time, um, many, many hats you had on. And there's there's a person, we were talking earlier when I had a show at Rogers out, out of Oshawa, Ontario, and um, I had uh, Michael Gerber on. And yeah. Michael Gerber, first of all, I was told I couldn't get him. He's a big name out of LA. And, and I said, mm-hmm. really? really? <laughs> that was the challenge, right? <laughs> and uh, um, anyway, he talks about entrepreneurs wearing too many hats. And yeah instead of hiring people to do what you're not good at. What's your thoughts on that? Because you wore a lot of hats, but you were also very successful doing that. Well, I don't think we started to see some of that success until I started delegating. Um, ah. I had hired a business coach that I worked for a little while. And then I, I found um, a mentorship opportunity 
through the American Marketing Association. And I was partnered fortunately up with someone that's a, a business consultant. And he basically goes into, you know, businesses and finds out what's wrong with them and creates those efficiencies and stuff like that. So the very first time we sat down, like we, he deconstructed like my entire business. And he's like, why are you still doing your own bookkeeping? Like, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Like, why is that? And we just went through all these things, developed an action plan. And, and basically like every month I had to kind of do certain things. So the first thing was hiring a bookkeeper because I was spending at that time, you know, anywhere from four hours to like a couple of days on payroll. <laughs> like, you know, we could have anywhere from 10 people to hundreds of people to pay every week. And the biggest thing I was like, how do I explain to a bookkeeper, like who these people are and how we're paying them what we're paying for them. So we had to kind of develop a system on how to communicate that. And then as time passed, like, you know, with my account managers and people that we were delegating to, like they had to all learn how to do that as well. And that alleviated so much time that I could focus more on sales and bringing in opportunities to the business rather than be buried in like payroll. (laughs) So something as simple as that, but it just, I think between doing that and the investment in SEO, like our, our business doubled the following year. So it was just, you want to be focusing on those high value tasks. And even if it costs, you know, 25 or $30 an hour, well, what is your time worth as a business owner? Like, could be worth $500 an hour, $1,000 an hour, like depending on what you're bringing in. So that was really the the change in, in what I had to look like. It, it's an investment, but these are going to be all the things that come out of that. Mm-hmm. That ties in. I was going to ask you about your mentors and leaders that you look mm-hmm. up to, but you just mentioned it, you know, your business coach, business, yeah. you know, consultant, marketing. Yeah. Hmm. Very, very good. Now, you also talk about, this is sort of a jump, but let's jump. <laughs> a chapter called A Little Philanthropy and yeah. a Little Bit of Fun. Yeah. Now, you, you're you all about also giving back. And, you know, I'm about contribution, giving back, and people bringing their, their unique gifts out to the world. And I know you have a passion for travel and adventure. Share, you know, you, you went to Thailand to start with, and you volunteered on two projects. Share about that, how people yeah. can get involved, and just that that whole passion that you have for that. What What is that for you, that adventure and travel? It's one of mine, too, So, but I wanted yeah. to hear it from you. Yeah, I mean, I think as a business owner, traveling was difficult in the beginning because I felt so chained to the business. Mm-hmm. And then we, through hiring that bookkeeper, <laughs> went to direct deposit. And it was like life-changing. Like instead mm-hmm. of spending all this time, I would just hit like accept and send money. And that was all I had to do every week. But what it allowed me to do is that because I wasn't signing people's paychecks, I didn't have to necessarily be physically present in the business. Like I could be away and, and still be like fielding emails and things like that, uh, whatever I had to do. But when we kind of made those changes, um, you know, I was able to start traveling more. My husband and I ended up getting married in Thailand. So that was kind of my first taste going there. And then just about eight months later, my cousin's like, hey, I'm going to go to Thailand and volunteer with these elephant nature park projects. Um, do you want to come? And it just kind of happened really suddenly. Um, so we were supposed to leave within less than a month. And then she got very sick in Australia and was hospitalized and actually couldn't even come for the first week. So here I am, 35 years old. I've never really traveled by myself outside of for business meetings, going to Thailand by myself. And, you know, I felt a little more confident because I had gotten married there. So I, I'd been to a couple of the places already and I knew I would feel safe and comfortable there. But I basically ended up um, in a town called Buriram, which is eight hours from Bangkok. And by volunteering your time with these elephants that are rescued uh, from entertainment or working and all these different things, um, you're basically just providing them like a better life. Um, And then the following week we were in the mountains of Chiang Mai and 
you know, those elephants were in a different environment. Like they're basically just walking around in the jungle the whole day, the whole day, but their mahouts follow them around. So they're not chained up. Um, so pretty much the only time they're chained is when their, their keepers have to sleep. Um, so you just got to experience like what that life is like for them. And, and again, just by being there as a volunteer, you're basically kind of paying their owners keep for them. And, and it just takes them out of like a life that's, you know, otherwise they're, they're horribly abused. Like in Burry Ram, I probably saw like you could stand in a circle and turn around and everywhere you looked, you could see an elephant chained up outside of people's houses. Like one elephant was even in like a concrete cell at the back of the house and they just keep him there and cut his ivory down once a year. And he can't even walk. Like he can't even move barely in this like concrete cell behind the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw a lot of horrible abuses when we were there. So it's kind of nice knowing like the elephants in your project, I think there was eight or 10 of them are not experiencing these things. and you know, I think for the people that own them, like they're very, very poor. So this is kind of their way to make money and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was just very eye-opening. Um, I would like to add that kind of link to this episode, Serena. So yeah. I'll probably get that from you for people who mm-hmm. want to go and experience that and and, and help the elephants. Yeah. That, that would be great. Now, you you ended up leaving the whole, you sold your business. What was that experience like? Was that scary then to get what you put into it? And well, it was a very long process um, mm-hmm. because the girl that I promoted uh, within my business to cover my maternity leave replace or my maternity leave coverage, um, she resigned when my daughter was only about two months old. So that was very unexpected. Um, this particular employee had been with me about six years at this time, so I really thought that she was all in. Like we'd planned towards this for a couple of years. Like it wasn't like she was new. Um, and even when I asked her to stay, like, I'd be willing to match whatever she was being offered somewhere else. She was just like, it's, uh, a professional decision, not personal. And just, you know, it really left me in a situation that made me concerned about the future of the business. Like I couldn't fathom, like, how can I run the business and have like an infinite home? So I hired a mergers and acquisitions company to sell it. And then we went into lockdown. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. you know, at this point, like no one even knew COVID was really coming. Like it happened obviously very, very, very fast. Um, So good luck selling an events company during COVID when you can't even run events, can't even like leave your house half the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. they did bring about different buyers. But again, the concern was like, you know, we have the overhead of the office. We have no way to know how long this is going to last for. And, you know, time kind of just kept moving on and probably about, a year and a half in, I said to them, why don't you speak to other agencies? Like, I think that they would be better suited to buy us than, you know, this couple that just want to have their own business or someone moving here from India. Like it just, I saw that as, um, you know, would be more opportunity and um, they didn't get any traction. And then the one girl that I kept throughout the pandemic, and I, I primarily kept her because I had my young daughter at home. Um, she ended up resigning at the beginning of last January. And I just basically said to the company I hired to sell it, like my back's against the wall. Like I have no employees left. I have no office. Like, yes, I still have my staff and all that, but really the the main source of value, I think to any company is going to be our website because we still have a lot of leads. We have a lot of traffic that comes through it. So can I get a mutual release to at least try to sell the website? And then over the following couple of weeks, I just had call after call after call with probably 14 or 15 agencies. And, um, and basically got four offers and had it sold within two weeks. And it, we just passed actually the year anniversary on Valentine's day. <laughs> so that's amazing. Um, yeah. So it took long and then it happened really fast. Um, so it was almost two years and then 
a couple of weeks. You talk about the the lady that left and, uh, you know, one thing you said in here is one thing I did know for sure was that nothing burns as badly as betrayal, especially from someone you trust. Mm-hmm. How did you deal with that betrayal and people leaving and that, that did you, did you take it personally? Because you're the, you're the, you're the boss, but you're also, yeah. eh, was it more, it wasn't business for you. It was more like friends too. Was there a, a well, line there? We had a friendly relationship. I wouldn't say we were friends. Um, mm-hmm. I think there was always that distinction. But it was upsetting because it's like, you know, it was the first time in my life that I'm taking a step back for something personal, like, and it's something mm-hmm. so important. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm taking it off to travel for a year. Um, and I just looked at it like, okay, well, you know, maybe she's making a negligible increase in pay. Like, e- even if I matched it, like, I was just so shocked that she just wasn't even willing to stay at least for like six months or a year or something like that. Mm-hmm. Because again, we had planned for this, like, for almost a couple of years, like we knew this was kind of like the trajectory we were going. And I I did share with her like a loss along the way and the fertility treatments we'd been experiencing and just how important it was to know that I could depend on her kind of if we have the outcome that we're hoping for, which is having our daughter. Um, But what I think hurt the most was I was at the office a couple of months after she resigned running updates and things like that. And And basically I came across information showing that she'd been applying to jobs like throughout my entire pregnancy. So that was very, very frustrating. So it's not like it was just a job that landed in her lap. Like she'd been actively pursuing things Mm -hmm. for a very long period of time. And that's what was most upsetting knowing that um, I could have made different decisions. You know, I could have sold the business when I was early into my pregnancy. If I didn't feel comfortable, I could have hired someone else. Like I could have structured things different you know, it could have been a very, very different um, experience, like in my mat leave. And then with no one knew COVID was coming, but obviously then all of that happened. And it just felt like it undermined everything that she had said, you know, she kept on, you know, over and over, like, I've got it covered, like, don't worry. And like went down this whole path and like through promoting her and introducing her to all the clients to make sure like they know that she's a point person and to know, like, she was very, very actively pursuing other things the entire time. It's just like, why, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like, you really didn't feel like this is right for you or you didn't want to be committed. Like, I just don't know why she couldn't have just been honest and sat down and been like, okay, I've hesitant, like I'm hesitant about this or how she was feeling. You know, I, I felt like we had a strong enough relationship that she could have done that. Um, and I think that's really what was so upsetting more, th- more so than the fact that she left just like could have been so different if she had just been honest and upfront about things a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. Is that why as a, a, a realtor that some of your values uh, is transparency, integrity, and trust? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I think you always want to treat people the way that you want to be treated, right? And I yes. think that, you know, when you're a realtor, especially like we're bound by a code of ethics and you have to look out for your client's best interests. So all of that is, even if it's like something really small, like you always have to be very, very honest with your clients. And, you know, as a realtor, there's also very massive financial consequences if you ever run into issues not doing those things. <laughs> so, you know, it has to align across the board or you could find yourself in some pretty bad situations. So let's talk about that with with you as a realtor. Mm-hmm. How, how did you develop that passion and get into that? See, another door closed for you was selling a business mm-hmm. and this other door open. Was it during COVID you thought, you know, I'm going to write a book, I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to invest in land, I'm going to become yeah. a realtor. Like, was that yeah. all kind of there or just came up? Uh, No, it started back in 2012. Like when I hired my very first business coach, one of the biggest takeaways was just 
to start using some of our retained earnings for investment. And at the time she's like, you know, business owners normally operate on three months and you have like a year and a half. Like, And at the time it's just, I was always very conservative. I never took out more money than I needed. And she's just like, you know, even if you're comfortable to leave say six months, like then you can at least put all that money into something. So I ended up mm-hmm. buying my first rental property in 2013 using in part some money on a short-term loan from the business. And then did really well with that, like doubled my money in four years and was able to basically pay off my mortgage at home. Um, and then that's also fantastic. Into like other things. So I was like, you know, mortgage three at th- mortgage free at 35. Um, and then learned through a client of ours, um, this real estate education platform, started learning about all these other ways that you can invest in real estate to develop passive income and, um, you know, all, all kinds of different things. Like it's more, far more than you would, think when you think, oh, I'm just going to buy a house and be a landlord. Like there's so many other ways that you can be investing. So I'd already gone down that path. I had enough passive income coming in the year before I had my daughter that I could cut my payback in half from the company. And then COVID happened. So I didn't want to take any money out of the company just to make sure that we could survive it. And, um, you know, I was able to, you know, go into more uh, other investments and stuff just to, to earn a little bit more. And then probably two or three months into lockdown, I decided, you know what, I may as well sign up for a real estate license. Like it's complimentary to all the other investments that I have. And no one at this point knows like how long is COVID even going to last for? Like it could be a year, it could be 10 years. So (laughs) I was trying to think about what my career could look like if we couldn't go back to having events and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. it took about 10 months to get my license. And I knew coming out of it, like I wouldn't be able to start working right away because my daughter was still very small and we didn't want to put her in a daycare before she was closer to two years old. So it was a bit like of a slow transition into it, <laughs> but it's been nice because I do have passive income. It's not like I've had to be, you know, working fast and furiously to, to build that side. Like I've been able to build it the way I want, build my brand, work on marketing and, you know, all of that stuff. So it's, it's been a bit of a slow entry into it, but you know, I, I'm still working on it. For people to learn more about like passive income and mm-hmm. and and real estate investing and putting money into areas, um, you you learn through your business coach. Mm-hmm. Is there other areas that you would recommend that people could call, you know learn more about that? So they for could... sure, yeah. I mean, there's definitely like a lot of real estate education platforms and masterminds out there. There's even a lot of groups on Facebook, and a lot of people on those like will have different mastermind calls where real estate investors get together to talk about different strategies and you know, share resources and contacts and stuff like that. Um, you know, even a lot of the investing I did, like it started out through this one company, but then but just by getting to know all these different investors, it's led to, you know, so many things. Like I see deals almost every single day. <laughs> and now I've actually like, I'll refer other people to those deals so that they can earn passive income. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's really a lot of who you know and things like that. And I do actually talk about specifically what I did in the book towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously for anyone that has other questions, like I, I find that whenever I do these podcasts, oftentimes people will reach out and like, I want to have passive income. Like, how do I do that? <laughs> mm-hmm. Obviously I can go into a little bit more detail with them on like who to talk to. And, and it really depends on their objectives and, you know, their circumstances. Like if they have a very high paying government job, like they may want to handle it different than how I did. Um, because I do keep any real estate earnings in, in a business and my personal real estate corporation. So I can, you know, earn other money passively personally. Um, so just really, you got to consider like where they're coming from and like what that looks like. 
Very, very cool. Serena, I'd like you to read a passage from your your book. I know you picked one out just to inspire our listeners to live their best life. Okay, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to read the first couple paragraphs, and then I'm going to end with the quote that I start the book with, because I think it ties together nicely. Mm -hmm. Uh, So chapter one is called Falling Apart. I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth, but it tarnished. At least that's what my stepmother told me when I was just six years old. Given the way that things went when she came into our lives, I'd have to say that I agree with her. As an adult, I try to look back on my time, this time in my life objectively, while I wouldn't wish what happened to me on anyone, the challenges I experienced made me stronger and contributed to who I am today, as cliche as that may sound. And here's a quote from Booker T. Washington. I've learned that success is to be measured not so much by the position one has reached in life, as the obstacles which they have overcome while trying to succeed. Mm, perfect. That was one of my questions. I was going to say to you, how do you define success? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I do have Booker T. Washington. We just didn't get to that. So yeah. So, so that's the way you you do define success. Yeah, yeah. I, I do think so. Very very cool. Thank you. So what's next on the horizon for you, Serena, and your family? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, I've been really fortunate. I think just, uh, again, going back to the passive income that because I had that flexibility, I decided to take last summer off, um, you know, having my business, it's summer is always event season and very busy. And I was like, for the first time, I, I don't have this on my plate. <laughs> so um, even in the prior two summers during COVID, like events were kind of opening up during that time. So the summers were quite busy still. So we took the time off, um, you know, had the opportunity to travel out went on trips in November, December, and January. <laughs> so nice. really just living the good life and, you know, just coming out of COVID, being able to do some of those things. Um, but now I'm, you know, back to work. The plan is not to be going anywhere for a while. My daughter's been more stable and consistent in her daycare and things like that. So I'm working on building um, the real estate side of my business when it comes to servicing clients. And then I've also joined a mastermind to try to figure out what my next investment should look like. And that may involve multifamily properties or short-term rentals. So I'm just trying to get as much information as possible regarding some of those things. And, you know, I'm surrounded by these investors that are acquiring like crazy (laughs) opportunities. Like one uh, company, for example, has acquired 10 million in real estate last year. Their goal is 50 million this year. Wow. And they don't even use their own money. Like they raise other people's money to do it. Um, so I'm surrounded by these people using these really interesting strategies, um, really smart strategies and just kind of building not only their personal wealth, but like the legacy, like, you know, something that's going to provide for their families for generations to come. Um, so I think for me, that's, you know, yes, I can kind of be comfortable with the passive income I have, but I'm trying to figure out those next moves in terms of like how I can leave that same legacy to my daughter and then potentially grandchildren and things like that. That's wonderful. I also like the idea when you have, uh, investments in that that you can give back to like the, the elephants or give back yeah. to you know we're in Nova Scotia now and we love it here and I feel like I felt like we came home when we moved here a year and a yeah. half ago and the people are just amazing the community there yeah. is community and you know I want to give back to people here also yeah. just you know in my community yeah um, I'm just sharing with the audience that Serena will be gifting to the first five people who subscribe rate and share her episode today um, a copy of her book, Accidental Entrepreneur. All the links to this, to how you can claim the gift, and also to Serena, if you have questions to reach out to her, uh, will be below in the show notes. Serena, thank you so much for sharing from your heart and soul. 
your wisdom on turning tragedy into triumph to embrace a destiny in entrepreneurship. Namaste. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Heart Soul Wisdom Podcast with Moira Sutton. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please join our community at moirasutton.com and continue the discussion on our Facebook page, Create the Life You Love. You will be part of a global movement, connecting with other heart-centered people who are consciously creating the life they love on their own terms. Together, we can raise our consciousness for the greater good of humanity and for our planet.